more to the Christian life than going to church and reading your Bible. If you've ever wondered just how involved God is in your everyday life, then you come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis and Vicar Jason Com, as we take an in-depth look at applying the scriptures to our daily lives through the Ten Commandments, baptism, the Lord's Prayer, and more. Welcome to Living the Faith. Welcome to Living the Faith, episode 13, Prepare the Way. My name is Pastor Tom Marsis, Senior Pastor at Zion Lutheran Church. And I'm Vicar Jason Kahn. And we're glad that you're with us as we continue our uh, look at living the faith, realizing, of course, that this week we're detouring a little bit. Uh, we're going away from some of the main doctrines or teachings of the church and going back into the church here as we're getting closer and closer to Easter. And, of course, the Sunday before Easter, Easter, the beginning of what we in the church called Holy Week, is Palm Sunday. And so we're going to take a little look at the theological significance and even uh, tie it into what it means uh, today for us in living the faith. Now, as we begin looking at Palm Sunday, last year as we were doing our trek through the scriptures, one of the things that we talked about again and again and again was context, to truly understand things that the scriptures are teaching us. Uh, we don't want to take a verse or a chapter out of context that it sets. The context really helps us dive in and understand the meaning. And so as we're getting ready to look at Palm Sunday, there it's important to understand the context of events that happened just before Palm Sunday. So if you look at John chapter 11, this is a well-known account of Jesus visiting his friends, Mary and Martha, who had just lost their brother, Lazarus. And Jesus was a few days late. Um, everybody was expecting him to intervene and act in some way. But for whatever reason, Jesus decided to wait until Lazarus was dead for three or four days or so, when it was beyond the hope that he would somehow overcome the sickness and come back. And so Lazarus was already buried. He was in his own tomb. And Jesus comes to visit them and raises him from the dead which no one thought was possible. And so word like this spreads like wildfire. This kind of goes out all over the place that Jesus had visited this person and uh, not even death uh, was something that Jesus couldn't cure. And that kind of sets the stage for his entry into Jerusalem because all the Jews there had heard about what Jesus had done and they heard that he was headed toward Jerusalem after that. And so part of the, uh, the famous reception of Jesus like riding into the city and how everyone was so excited to see him, that was largely due to how they had just heard about this wonderful account of raising Lazarus from the dead. And hey, this guy, this is the king of Israel, and he's coming to visit us too. Well, I like to think of it this way, putting it in a more modern context. It's like an event that goes viral. Uh, you have an event, it happens in the little town of Bethany, uh, it's not Jerusalem. It's not the center of everything of the country, so to speak. It's off in this little backwater town of Bethany, and yet it goes viral, and everybody knows. And so it's not surprising that on this particular day of Sunday, which we now refer to as Palm Sunday, as Jesus is coming in and preparing for the coming Sabbath that that would be celebrated on the Passover, uh, that the crowd would be there because they want to see this individual who has now, in our modern sense, gone viral and done this amazing feat, 
who is he? What does he look like? How does how does he act? What does he do? And so uh, we see the events really whipping up and, and the political and the religious leaders of the day are now on high alert. They, they've been concerned about this Jesus of Nazareth before. They've gone out and tried to cause issues and get him confused and find him giving some kind of lie. But now uh, they're amping up and they're uh, looking for ways that they got to get rid of this guy. And we know that Jesus enters the city on a donkey. We've all learned about that uh, for years. That's like a popular Sunday school story. Um, that was actually predicted by the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, he predicted that, you know, the king of Israel is coming on the, the foal of a donkey, a donkey's colt. Um, and this is significant because we would expect like this great king to process in on this large war horse or some, some really strong, powerful animal to symbolize the king's own authority. Uh, but Jesus comes in a different manner. He comes in on this humble little donkey, not what you'd expect this great king of Israel uh, to be entering the city on. But the people anyway, uh, we're also familiar with what they do, how they respond. Uh, one of the things they do is they throw down their coats on the road to sort of cushion the ride. That was sort of this, this ancient custom um, that people had done for years to honor a person of, of high significance. They would just lay down their garments on the road um, so that, you know, their, their animal, their beast wouldn't be, you know, walking on stone. They'd be walking on coats instead. And they also grab these palm fronds and start waving them around. Palm fronds were a symbol of triumph. They were a symbol of victory. Since, hey, this is the king of Israel, like the son of David that's long been talked about. He's entering the city of Jerusalem, um, and it's time to celebrate. It's time to honor him. Um, and so what's really ironic about Palm Sunday is that we see in the Gospels before this point that Jesus is often telling his disciples to kind of keep quiet about his identity. Like, hey, you may have seen this amazing miracle, but don't tell anybody that, that I'm the Christ. Don't tell anybody what, what you've seen. Um, but with this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we can think of it as Jesus is done hiding. He's done um, hiding his identity, who he is from the world, and it's time to step out into the open as the Christ, as the Messiah. And the crowds respond magnificently to that. They, they eat it right up. They, they love the fact that Jesus is entering the city so publicly um, and everyone is, is shouting his praises. Well, and speaking about how he keeps his identity hidden, so to speak, uh, leading up to this, the getting of the donkey is almost like by secret code. You know, going to this town, I know there's going to be a donkey. I know there's going to be this foal of the donkey who's never been written. And if the if the gentleman asks you why you're taking it, you know, tell him uh, the Lord is in need of it. It's almost like he's pre-set it up and it's all ready to go. And just in case, here's the secret code. Uh, but uh, even though we see this uh, secretiveness almost on how he gets the donkey, from there, the whole story changes. It becomes a very uh, public thing. And it's interesting because it begins a seven-day journey of Jesus uh, leading from this triumphant entry ultimately to something that is almost unthinkable for his disciples, and that's the fact that he's going to die. Yes, he's told them. Yes, he said it's going to happen. Uh, but they hear those words, but I don't know that they really took them to heart or really, in a tent, in sense, listened to what they were. And so as he's coming in, this victory uh, 
parade, so to speak. Uh, the words that are shouted by the crowd are also significant in that it says he, Hebrew word of Hosanna. It's not a Greek word. It's a Hebrew word, which means save us. And so even though the crowd absolutely did not understand or know that the cross was coming, it's interesting that the word they would use is Hosanna, uh, save us. Very significant, even though they didn't necessarily understand the significance of what they were saying. Right. Think about the historical context. What did the people want Jesus to save them from? Uh, well, at this time, we know that the the Romans had pretty much dominated the ancient world. They were very much in charge. And the Romans, they tolerated the Jews to kind of allow many things, uh, but they still ruled over them. You know, Israel wasn't really this powerful nation, like a kingdom like it used to be. Um, but God's people were, they were expecting Jesus to come back as this like this hero king as this war leader to set things right, to drive the Romans out, to save them from this political oppression and to restore the kingdom of Israel back to the glory of its former days. Um, you know, like when David was king and calling Jesus the son of David, they were kind of expecting Jesus to build Israel up back to a kingdom like it used to be. And so, when they're saying Hosanna, think of, they really had that in mind. They didn't know about the cross, as Pastor Marcus mentioned. That was not on their minds like it is on ours today. Um, but Jesus was processing to secure a victory. This is true, but it wasn't the victory that they were thinking of. Um, as we know, Jesus had his eyes set on the cross. He was going to secure victory over sin to establish a grand kingdom on earth the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of Israel like they were expecting, but to expand that to all people. But no one really saw it that way. Um, and as we just mentioned earlier, not even the 12 disciples who Jesus told them flat out what was going to happen. He said, hey, I'm going to die and I'll be buried. And after three days, I'll rise again and I'll come see you. And that just goes right over their heads. They don't, they don't get it. No one really gets it. Not only do they not get it, uh, Peter says, Never shall it be. You know, it, it's not going to be. Or uh, Thomas goes, uh-uh, not going to be, I'll, you know, I'll go, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to let it happen, which is also interesting when we see both Thomas and Peter, when they make these bold predictions, when they're outside the city and now things are happening. So, but the, the disciples, not only did they get, didn't get it, they said, ah, it's not going to happen. They absolutely said that. And remember that the timing that God sets is the timing that is always right. Uh, the timing of the cross was the timing that God had set. There had been attempts at Jesus' life before. I mean, obviously, we know of the attempt specifically by Herod when he was about two years old uh, with the wise men coming from the east, uh, and yet God protected him and that the time was not right. And when it was, it was going to be set that his eyes would be to the cross on God's timing. So we, as we see this now, we talked about Lazarus and his rising from the dead. Everything is accelerated now. The chief priests, the Pharisees, they accelerate this need that they need him arrested. They need him out of the picture. So make no mistake about it. It wasn't like this last minute, all of a sudden, okay, let's just, oh, here it is. Let's do it. No, the, this had been a long time coming. And as you follow the story of Jesus' ministry, you see it building to this crescendo as they're constantly sending people to question Jesus, to test Jesus, to try to trick Jesus, to find some kind of reason when they would be able to uh, publicly say that he is wrong, he's lied, 
and then even if they could publicly arrest him and get him out of the way, much like uh, Herod got John the Baptist out of the way. Yeah, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they wanted Jesus dead for a long time, long before he entered Jerusalem. Uh, if you turn to the Gospel of Mark, you'll see as early as the beginning of chapter 3, um, Jesus heals someone, forgives their sins, and they, the chief priests and the Pharisees do not like that because only God can do that. And so this guy, this human, is claiming that, that he has the same authority and right to forgive people as God does. And so they start planning to kill him from then on. Um, and so now that Jesus has entered Jerusalem and there's so much popularity building uh, with him, they decide, hey, now's the right time. We should get rid of him now before like we can't do anything about it. Um, and it's interesting to note that the chief priests and Pharisees also plan to kill Lazarus as well. I don't know if we remember that so much. It's not really something we would talk about in, in Sunday school, um, but they want to root out all traces of, of Jesus and, and his miracles and his workings. And so not only are they planning to kill Jesus during this time, but they're also thinking of ways to get to Lazarus because um, Lazarus is living proof of the power that Jesus has. And if they get rid of him, then they extinguish some of that proof as well. Um, and so Jesus entering Jerusalem in the public manner like this, it's really like shouting to the Pharisees, you wanted me? Well, here I am, kind of do your thing. Um, and we see that Jesus isn't trying to do anything to stop all of this from happening, because after all, this is what he came to earth to do, to die. And he doesn't run away from any of it. He just embraces it head on. Well, what's very interesting, let's back up three years, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. After Jesus is baptized, he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days and fasts, and of course, um, Matthew records three specific temptations of the devil when he's there. And among those temptations is, you know, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, nope, not going to do it. It's, uh, you know, don't tempt the Lord your God. Uh, and here, at, as he's entering into Jerusalem, uh, one of the things that the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders try to tell Jesus to, hey, tell these crowds to shut up. Tell them to stop. This this has got to stop. This public uh, exhibition has got to stop. And Jesus' answer is, well, if they stop, these very stones will give it. And so it's kind of interesting, the connectivity back. You know, Jesus refuses to turn the, the stones into bread. And yet here at the end is now the time is right. He's turning in. He goes, well, you know what? I don't even have to do anything. And the stones are going to uh, sing my praises. So it's very interesting when we look closely when the timing is right, when it's God's planning is right, not that we can test him or that the devil can make Jesus do anything he should or shouldn't do, that when the timing is right, when God's plan is fulfilled, then it's going to happen. Well, so the question really, now we've we've covered the, the ins and outs of the story itself, the events leading up to it. You know, what about Palm Sunday in the present? What, what, what is it? And, you know, ultimately, how does it apply? So, you know, traditionally speaking, um, on Palm Sunday, if you come to a church, you will see children, sometimes adult, depends on the congregation, they'll be waving these palms back and forth, um, sometimes processing in, uh, sometimes uh, take getting them on the way out so that they can uh, wave them as they do that. And it, it's, a, it's a connectivity then to the events some 2,000 years ago. Um, and also in church itself, you will hear much of the music uh, use uh, Hosanna as a part of it, which of course is very significant 
connectivity to that as well. But, um, you know, there, there's lots of events and, and things that we do connectivity to that as well. Yeah. Um, and, and going off of Hosanna for just a moment, uh, we might say the same word as the Jews said when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, but we have the full story unlike them. So when we cry out, save us, Lord, um, we understand this to be, you know, don't just save us from oppression. Don't just save us from, you know, an earthly kingdom, but save us from our sin um, as you have promised to do so through your through your death on the cross and through your resurrection. And we still need salvation. We need you to come back to us and set everything right uh, to really bring heaven uh, to earth on the final day for judgment day. And so um, we say the same word, but we have a slightly different meaning in mind for our Palm Sunday. And then this is a fun trivia fact about how some churches will do it. Um, there are some places that save extra leftover palm fronds uh, from Palm Sunday, and they'll use those to make ashes uh, for Ash Wednesday in the next year. Um, obviously, Palm Sunday uh, takes place after Ash Wednesday, so it's not like we just take the palm fronds and grind them to ashes right away. But some people will save their leftovers and then use those to make ashes to kick off uh, the next year's Lent. Um, and so it really just depends on where you are. Some churches do that. Um, some churches will order their ashes online, which it's definitely easier to apply them and make them that way. Um, but I just figured that that'd be worth sharing is that some people will take their palm fronds and reuse them for that. And they're also not very easy to burn either. That's so, true. And so making them into ash is not an easy feat if you've ever tried to do it which of course we have tried to do it here, and it's not an easy fact. Well, okay, so that's some of the things that we celebrate. Uh, that's our connectivity and celebration and worship. But, you know, this year we're going living the faith. How do we then apply this to everyday life? We know the we've gone over the facts. We've gone over the figures this week, so we're going to be looking at some of the various passages related to it and asking questions. But when we step back, how is it that we can apply it to our daily life? Well, the first thing we can say is that Jesus is the one true king, not just of Israel, but of the entire universe. Um, at the end of Matthew, he says to his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, all of it, every last bit of it. And so in confessing that Jesus is Lord, it's a bigger confession than to say that Jesus is my Lord or Jesus is our Lord. We actually mean that Jesus is the Lord of everything in all of creation. God has given it all to his son to rule over. Um, and so it's right for us to call Jesus the king, but he's not just any king. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the best and greatest one of them all. One of the things that we also see is notice the crowds. Um, when you're in a big crowd, if you've ever been in uh, a stadium and something spectacular happens, the whole crowd stands up and there's cheering and everything. But have you ever been in the opponent's stadium when something happens? Um, I'm obviously a very intense uh, Cleveland Indians now Cleveland Guardians fan, and over the years uh, have not always been able to see my ba favorite baseball team play in Cleveland. So I've gone to watch them play in places like Minneapolis. 
uh, and so or Detroit. And when you're there and something spectacular happens to your team, you stand up and and you look around. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, but it's not the same as when you're at uh, Progressive Stadium in Cleveland and something spectacular happens. Every oh, you know, and the whole crowd's with you, and you're high fiving people you don't even know, and and it's like, wow, this is great. Well, let's put that in the context of our Christian life and Christian faith as we see what happens here on Palm Sunday. Wow, the crowd was spectacular on Palm Sunday. They were there. Uh, they were all cheering and saying Hosanna as the vicar was talking about putting down their coats and the palm branches, and they're rejoicing. He's coming in. This is the guy that uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. Everybody's excited. Now, I'm not going to say it's the exact same crowd you know, a few days later on Good Friday, but now instead of everybody cheering him, now they're jeering and they're saying, hey, crucify him. And again, we read from the text that the chief priests and Pharisees had like uh, put the crowd up to it. They had people in the crowd getting ready to, you know, lead them on and obviously ginned them up and got them ready to go. And they were cheering. And so, Applying that to our daily life, it's one thing at church to stand and sing the praise and wave our hosannas, you know, branches and everything spectacular. But when we leave there and suddenly we're not in that big context of fellow Christians around us and worshiping, are we willing to stand up? I mean, as I said earlier, I know what it's like to stand up as a Cleveland baseball fan uh, in Minneapolis when uh, somebody hits a home run for my team and nobody else is standing. Uh, fortunately, my kids are standing with me. But nevertheless, it, it's a different than when you're at Progressive Stadium. And for us as Christians, we need to realize that we need to sing that praise, not just when we're in church, but living the faith means living the faith inside the church building, outside the church building, in home, at school, at work, and it's not necessarily as easy all the time. Yeah, because we're human, we tend to go with the flow of the people around us. You know, even if people around us are doing or saying things we don't agree with, like it's often takes a lot of courage to step in and say like, hey, that's that's not right. And so if we think to um, the crowds that were shouting, crucify him, the scriptures don't record anybody standing up and defending Jesus at all. Um, so even even if there were people uh, in that second crowd that was shouting to crucify him, that were also in like the great processional crowd a week earlier on Palm Sunday, no one was stepping in and saying, wait, don't crucify him. Don't do this. Uh, no one stopped this from from happening. No one no one tried to get in the way. Um and we're we're kind of fickle like that. At one moment we can be rejoicing with people around us and and singing Jesus' praises, and then the next we can be totally silent about him and and saying nothing in the world around us. And so um, we've we've all been kind of those faltering voices before, uh, but it's important to remember that even though even though we might not do and say the right things that we're supposed to all the time, uh, Jesus still went to that cross, and he went to that cross exactly for that reason. Um, because because we're weak, because we're sinners, uh, because we can't like stand up to him as we should. Um, but Jesus took a stand for us. He did so on that cross, um, and he did it happily, knowing that it would save us from our sins. And as a result, 
our prayer all year round can be Hosanna, not just for this one specific Sunday, Palm Sunday, but we pray constantly for God to save us because um, even though we've been welcomed into God's family, even though our sins have been washed away in our baptism, um, we still do a lot more sin and we still need salvation and we need Jesus to come back and set everything right. And so we look forward to another triumphal entry uh, when Jesus returns to earth, uh, when he'll raise us from the dead and complete his saving work that was started in the cross and resurrection. And so we pray all year round for Jesus to come soon, to save us now because we need him. Well, this coming week, uh, our readings and prompts are go going to be getting us ready for this next coming Sunday, which will be Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, so we encourage you to look through the readings, uh, take some time to reflect on the prompts, and uh, prepare for that event. Last year, as we were doing Trek Through the Scriptures, we did a day-by-day -day of Holy Week. Uh, what happened on Palm Sunday, what happened on Holy Monday of Holy Week, Tuesday, and so forth. We're going to be reposting that here in our Living the Faith. We'd encourage you throughout your Holy Week journey to uh, listen to those short, they're only like seven, eight, nine, ten minutes long uh, each day as we go through Holy Week and be reminded of the events that actually happened on those days as we get ready uh, for Easter. But look at them in the context of not just an historical event, more than just the theology of knowing, yes, Jesus did this for us. The question is, how do we take that theology, how do we take this reality and live it out in our daily life of faith? And so the challenge uh, for us uh, as we approach Holy Week, as we get ready for his death and ultimately his resurrection on Easter is, these are all important things now. How do we live them? How does that impact who and what we are in Christ Jesus? So we encourage you to watch for that. We will be reposting those here in this podcast, and uh, hopefully they will be able to help you reflect on living the faith as Easter people. Uh, obviously, we got to go through Good Friday to get to Easter, but ultimately we're going to be talking about how we are Easter people, and we get ready to be Easter people by starting with Palm Sunday. And so uh, the Lord's blessings as you do your readings, as you do your reflections, and we hope to be able to visit with you again next week as we then point towards the Easter event and the empty tomb. Lord's blessings on your study and reading this week. Thanks for joining us on our Living the Faith podcast this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time as we continue learning how God's truth in the scriptures applies to our daily life. God bless your reading this week.